Hello and welcome everyone. Mike here along with uh, Andrew Hoxley. Andrew Hoxley and we have a podcast. Our podcast is named Mike and Andy's Stream of Consciousness. Proud you said it that time. I got it right. So here we are with with uh, our opportunity to share thoughts with ourselves and with each other and with you. So again, welcome to the podcast. We're happy that you came along for the ride. So Andy, what's been on your mind lately? Not a lot. Just had a rough game last night. Uh, what happened in the game? Just n- not a lot of good stuff. Not a, a lot of good. Not uh, a lot of good by anyone. Too much uh, offense on the other, the opposing side, and not mm-hmm. enough defense on on the home team side. <laughs> well, yeah, too much, too much blown assignments. Too many, too many mistakes on our, on our part. Yep. The um, the coach's part, the referee's part, the players. Yeah, a shared experience, right? It, yeah, it's 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 a conglomerate of failure. There it's, we go. So there's uh, when you're in this position, it it leaves you with an opportunity for improvement. Yes, that we can't experience great highs without experiencing great lows. And I think the uh, the junior class right now is going to benefit the most from that because our seniors on the way out, oh, good we're point. on the way out. But this next, these next two classes, this junior class, this sophomore class is going to have a lot of luck. They're building on this experience. They'll they'll have this to build on next year, and and they'll it's a growth opportunity. Yeah. So do you have some of the JV players on the sidelines during the varsity games? Oh, we have most of them in, most of the JV players. Okay. A lot of juniors and sophomores even are getting reps. Or we have one off the top of my head that starts, two off the top of my head that starts uh, vars- um, varsity D-line. Ah, very cool. One or two that starts varsity O-line. Good deal. Um, running backs, a sophomore. All right, so i got a question. This uh, This came up in conversation the other day, and I wanted to share it with you. The yep. um, got a question. You ready? Hit me. What's the best vacation you've ever had? Oh, um, <laughs> not one with you is what I'm gonna say. Is uh, going to Chicago. I, hey, that that hurts my heart. <laughs> <laughs> that that was hard. Oh, well, man. we don't usually go to museums, and I liked uh, going to see Sue in Chicago. The oh yeah, Chicago Field Museum. Yeah, Sue was the dinosaur the, in the, the museum. The largest, most complete T Rex. That's pretty cool. And. I don't remember if it's a boy or a girl, but she's my babe or he's my boy, whichever one. We don't know. I yeah, can yeah. fact check it, but I'm too lazy. Yeah. <laughs> fact <laughs> check. Do you think they know the sex of the dinosaur? Yeah, you can tell by the the hip bones, certain the, kinds of the, bones, the pelvic bones and yeah. shoulders, just yeah, like that, you can with a person. That makes sense. So I'm going to apply that question to myself, and I'm going to tell you that that one of my favorite cities of all time is Washington D.C. and yes. the opportunity that you and I had to go visit. We have some friends, uh, the Eriks. Yeah. in Washington, D.C., and we got to spend time with Lenore. So I, I love Lenore, I love the Ergs, and I love Washington, D.C. I've been a number of times, and that time that you and, and Mom and I got to mm-hmm. visit D.C. I would uh, take it back to just to show you how much I could improve my walking ability. Uh, so I took Andy, I don't know, how old were you then? I want to say five or six. Fifth grade, however old you are then. It'd be about ten. Yeah. So nine or ten probably. <laughs> yeah. So the the problem with poor little Andy at nine or ten was he I wasn't sh- a very active short, kid. Short little legs. Well, you're a kid and yeah. you've only got X amount of muscle. So the uh I of course have been a golfer and, and had tremendous walking ability and poor little Andy as a ten year old, he, he had a tough time <laughs> keeping up. So uh D C is is uh there's a lot to see and you wanna take it all in, you wanna experience as much as you can. Uh, so that's a lot of moving from spot to spot around the town. Yeah. And it's it's hard. So, yeah, maybe I'll push a little too far. Mom 
you know, out in the sun, yeah. she had a little bit of a rough way too. So <laughs> doesn't fare very well. So Washington D.C. has a great um, the metro. The, yes, the underground, the, the, the subway, subway system. That's a lot of it's above ground, but uh, so the rail system that that can move you from point to point, and that's great to get to a spot. But you can't keep going to the metro to get to the next spot. It just doesn't work very well that way. So you might want to walk from spot to spot, which is great if you're going two or three places. But when you're trying to see five or six or seven or eight places, yeah. and you're trying to experience as much of the city as you can, so that's where it's easy to overdo it. The um, uh, so now I'm drawing on my experience with some time I just spent with my other son, Justin, in Denver this past weekend. We we used Lyft scooters. And if we had had Lyft scooters in Washington, D.C., you could experience so much more of the city so much more quickly, so much more easily. Uh, so that was that was a really neat way to, to see a lot of stuff really quickly. Of course, I don't know how you'd work a – I guess you couldn't work a 10-year-old – into a scooter <laughs> carefully <laughs> i'm thinking of uh what kind of disaster could occur what, how many times could cars hit the same child <laughs> it's not going to go how well. many kids have to die before we <laughs> abandon this program before we figure out that we never should have thought of the scooter idea so moms and dads out there if you have those 10 year old kids i want to encourage you to to uh, take them to cities and let them experience these wonderful things make them walk Make them walk. I think the scooter is probably not going to be a good solution here. But Make they do. Ha they do have other options. They do have buses, uh, tour buses that you can use. And we used a taxi once. Yeah, the, yeah. So I think we did that on the way home. At the end of the day, yeah. when you're the most tired. Yeah. And taking a taxi then made the most sense. So, so yeah. Finish the day with a taxi. Make a man out of them. Don't take the taxi. Because walking, them. walking from wherever you are <laughs> just to get to the metro. That's that's not always an easy thing. And after going to New York, it's a much cleaner metro in D.C. It's a much nicer metro. I wonder why that is. Is it <laughs> less people? Well, like less people, but I think it's does it go to the culture of society, the the the, the spirit of the city, or the. I know. guess I think it. I think it's purely concentration. Because the more people you have, the more likely you're not going to get called out for making a mess. Some percentage of people are going to be in the don't care category. Yeah, and with more people. In well, the city, you're going to have yeah. a, a larger number of those people who just don't care. It's the the big city effect. Like New York, there's fist fights going on. Nobody cares. They just walk by <laughs> it. It's fine. That's kind of that's kind of uh, a little bit scary. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. A little it's bit. It's the police's job. What am I going to do? I know it's um it's one of those things. So, uh, where else have you been? You you went on other trips. Uh, Atlanta, but I don't really remember Atlanta a whole lot. Atlanta was. It, that was sixth grade. That was a long time ago. <laughs> it's even longer, yeah. Probably wasn't even like a whole. I'm not the same person as I was then, right. so it's a little, a little shaky. A lot of Carolina. Never been west of the Mississippi. Oh, see, I've uh, I've been as far west as Los Angeles. That's a ways. That's most of the way across the Mississippi. Oh, it's <laughs> that's the entire way across the Mississippi, <laughs> and then a couple other rivers to boot. But the um. Yeah, that was that was uh, as far west as I've ever been. This most recent trip, I, I went west to the Rockies to see Justin. That was Denver, Colorado. So there's a recent trip west. Yeah. So I got a question for you. Yes. What's the most recent movie you've ever seen? Uh, Joker, the new one that just came out. The brand new Joker. It's my first, second, and third most recent movie I've seen. <laughs> I didn't watch. Are you any telling me that you're you're foregoing any other movies just to? To watch Joker over and over again? Yeah, well, not foregoing, but 
It's the one that everybody wanted to see with me. Will you ever watch another movie, or will it be Joker from here on out? It'll be another movie, I promise. Okay, we just need to give the music, the the movie industry a a cycle, let them get a couple more movies in the A couple more good ones, load it back up. So what was it about Joker that you liked the most? Uh, Oh, geez. Uh, Cinematography and um, the soundtrack. Sorry, I couldn't remember if there was a bigger, smarter word for that, but... What, were, what was some of the music that struck you? Oh, just the the use of, oh, what's the lady's name? The girl, so there's, with this movie soundtrack, there wasn't only songs from, like, pop culture that actually, I don't want to say actually exist, but previously existed. Right. But they had a uh, this foreign woman, I forgot her name, and she, it's, it's a really hard name to pronounce, so that's why I don't remember. And she d- designed a score for the movie, and it's beautifully haunting, and it's, Fits it quite well. It's all the uh, the 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 violin that's kind of off and oh yeah, it, it's really so. Joker is kind of a dark. Creepy. It's a dark movie. Oh yeah, and to have the the music support the darkness of the mm-hmm. of the uh, and the then theme, the the new music support the dark, and then the the previously existing music like uh, Cream's White Room contrast it so hard with like an upbeat like guitar solo. Yep. So I'm with you in the cinematography. I I thought oh, the I thought some of the shots were were so the composition of the shots was uh, artful. I think it was artfully it, done. That's one of the, the main words that I would use to describe that movie: artful. Artful. Mm-hmm. So the the cinematography and the the music score. Um, what about the writing? Really not very well. I feel like not as much on, on the storyline, the, f- the plot, the the, the plot was awful. But where it really falls is the interaction between characters. Like a lot of the stuff that he says is very oh, well, of course, you know. So I, I think I'm going to disagree just a bit with that. I, I thought they did quite a bit of character development, and of course the character develops through, through oh, s- speaking for yes. the most part. And the, the relationships that the main character, the Joker, has in the movie and the people he's interacting with. And so I, I, I think, in my mind, the, the dialogue, the, the, the writing, I think I'd give it a, little, a couple more points than, than maybe you do. I'd give it a, like a 6.5 out of 10. Like above average is where I'd rate it. It just yeah. it's, it gets shaky. Like whenever he says like my life's not a com- I'm not a tragedy, it's a comedy. Like that's kind of like oh okay. And I think a lot of it is that I saw it three times, and then it's I realized that a lot of it's just Hakeem Phoenix having a great performance. Hakeem, Hakeem has this uh, this affliction where he laughs uncontrollably at times, and sometimes you wonder in the movie if he's laughing because he's laughing or if he's laughing because of this affliction. So sometimes you want to wonder just how together he is in his mind. Did you notice the two laughs that he had? The one that he uses to fit in with other people and then the one that he uses to... Good point. Um, yeah. It's yeah. kind of obvious when you're looking for it. But. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So the um, I'm looking at, at uh, another opportunity for a question. Yeah. Tell me about your earliest childhood memory. Oh. <laughs> My earliest memory is me being stupid. It's... <laughs> It's um, <laughs> how's that working out for you? It's lifelong uh, event. Yep. It's a the Joker crusade. had his affliction, and now you have yours. It's being a little, a little suffering on the common sense. So I was two. I remember oh, specifically two. being two. That's way back. And then the power was out of my grandparents' house. Okay. And I was scared. No, I wasn't scared. I was more like, oh, I can't watch SpongeBob today. That's lame. That's scary. That's lame. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go outside. I'm not gonna get my SpongeBob on. So I. I uh, I talked to my grandpa, and I was like, well, what are we going to do? And he was like, I don't know. 
And then I, I don't remember what he said, but then I remember specifically asking if I could call my mom. But the power was out, so the, the phone wouldn't have worked. Yeah. So that, that was my, that's my earliest memory. It's like a little like 15-minute interaction. That's my earliest thing that I remember. So sometimes those old phones work when the power's out. It There's depends a, on oh, how widespread the power outage is. A landline? If, if the phone system, if the landline phone system can get electricity from some other location that does have power, then maybe you'll be able to use your phone. Not always, but... And then, of course, today with cell phones, the, yeah, the cell out. towers are, are battery-backed up and they have generators. And so I think I was just ahead of my time, if anything. Back in the day, yeah. at two. At you, two. Were, you were ahead. <laughs> you you might have been at two and a half when all the other kids were just two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, my earliest childhood memory, I, it, it takes me back. I, I really don't know how old I was, but I'm thinking of the house that... Not the house that I was born into. I was born in Evansville. And I grew up in Louisville, and the house that, that I grew up in as a child was on Abbeywood Road. And at Abbeywood, we had a two-story house that had a back patio, and Mom and Dad were, were uh, going to do some remodeling of the patio. So there was a, a concrete block, a decorative block wall that, that was a, uh, like a knee wall around the outside of the patio. And Mom and Dad wanted that gone, so it's, a, it's now a demo day. So... Me as a little kid, and I have this little toy hammer, and it's time to demo this this concrete <laughs> block wall. And I remember banging on, I don't know what mom and dad were thinking, letting me bang on, on stuff with a hammer. Because it's the hammer is obviously the wrong tool, and obviously I didn't have eye protection on, and, and I probably <laughs> wasn't wearing gloves. I didn't have the personal protection equipment on that I was supposed to have. So, yeah, it's it's time to take the wall down, and here I am doinking, doink, 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 Being doink, recently doink, doink. a toddler, he has no idea about OSHA and all the all the violations he committed. All Yes, OSHA was not present on this particular job site. So, uh, But I do remember uh, with my little hammer banging on this <laughs> little wall, and, and I don't remember the wall actually coming down that day. I don't not have, because of your hammer. No, it's it's my, my memory is not that full of the day. I, I remember this very specific yeah, it's incident. Yeah, like, it's a little clip, and you remember the context of the clip, yeah. and nothing before or after, really. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot of like way back memories. There's a lot it's of way weird. back memories, and and one of the others was I'm thinking about that patio in that backyard. Uh, popped another memory of that that same era, that same age, was um, there was a dog in the neighborhood, and the dog got loose, and the dog found me. I was terrified of this dog because he <laughs> ran at me, and when I screamed and ran away, then. Uh, the dog attacked me, and yeah. the dog knocked me down and was biting my my ankles. And I don't to this day I don't know if the dog was playing or if the dog was attacking. But when I was that age, I was probably two or three. Uh, in the moment, I was being attacked. Yeah, and my no matter my what, life was yeah. was uh, in jeopardy here. Well, how bad were the bites? You know, I, I don't remember going to the doctor. Oh, okay. I, I think maybe I got some um, some hydrogen peroxide to clean them up, yeah. and I don't think there was a lot of blood. I, I think I was just scared. What kind I of was, dog are we talking to? It was a collie. Oh, okay. And it was a neighbor down the street, uh, friends of ours. Mm-hmm. It was So it was a, a, the dog of a friend. So they were they actually had to get rid of the dog. They, oh, because of that? Because, of, because I was so afraid of the dog that, that they were afraid that I wouldn't want to go outside and I would have a, a stunted childhood perhaps well that's kind of considerate of them i thought it really was yeah so they i don't know what they did with their dog but they they sent it off to some friends at a farm is the story i was told <laughs> i don't know what really happened so maybe you really get, did get attacked it was a lot worse than you remember i uh, see so and your brain will do that your brain yeah. will protect you from from uh harmful memories 
So maybe that dog caused me more trauma and more stress and, and more physical violence than, than I'm remembering. So but. I was also afraid of dogs when I was small, small. Yeah, two and three, and same age? Yeah. Yep. And um, what m- my parents and grandparents would always tell me is that don't turn your back on them. And I always wondered, like, but that means I'm going away. Like, doesn't isn't that what they want? But I looked it up recently, and it's because wolves only attack prey that's fleeing. Like that's ah, so, so like that's an instinct. A pack of wolves hunting a musk ox. And that's what this dog was doing that's to me. That's exactly what he's doing. As soon as you turned away, he was like, it's game time. I'm this, is, this is the hunt. Yep. And His DNA as, couldn't yeah. stop himself from chasing me. And that's and probably me why down. he grabbed your ankle, too, is because that's what they do. They just grab you and bleed you out until you get tired. Yep. And that would take the better part you, of a day. You pulled the wolf out of this collie. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty How incredible. great was that for me? Yeah. <laughs> at your own at your own cost. Exactly. Um, back to movies. Do you have a movie that you just hate like uncontrollably? Like you just oh, see wow. it and you just have a seething anger for it. So I I hate movies that, that I feel like waste my time. I feel like movies that do a lot of talking but don't say anything. <laughs> so those movies are the kind of movies that I don't get invested in and I feel uh, liberated to to uh, turn that movie when off. When it's over, instead of being like, oh, I'd want, I want more of it, you're just like, oh, finally. Thank goodness it's over. Yeah. Yeah. What, so what most, a lot of those movies will never get to the end that, that, <laughs> that I'll, I'll cut out on the movie. What a, give me an example. Oh, good question. Um, that's a tough one. Yeah. My brain's not in that <laughs> mode because they're they're movies I'm not invested in. They're not movies that I would so have committed just throw to memory. Them away immediately. Yeah. So I, I don't have. know. Any I'd I'd go with anything from the Hallmark channel. <laughs> 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 Please don't tell your mother I said that. Yeah. Now, actually, uh I can engage some of these movies, but there's Oh I cannot. They're so repetitious. They're the uh, the writing, the acting, the the staging, the location, the you know the theme of the movies. They're I don't even call them movies. Like that's that's degrading to the whole. <laughs> so maybe to cinema as a whole. Yeah, these are the Harlequin romance novels of of the movie industry. Yes. They're they're shallow. They're so, you know, I I, I really want to bash them, but every once in a while there's a good one. So and I can I can watch that good one one time. One, but when <laughs> it's on. It's on literally every other day for weeks at a time. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it wears pretty thin. So, yeah, that's when I disconnect from those movies <laughs> and find something else to do. I like to find a movie that I hate and go after it relentlessly. So, so we've talked, you and I have had this conversation before about these B, these B movies. I love them. Yeah. They're awesome. Some of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we talked about um, Red, Red Dawn. Dawn. Yeah. That was our last one we, we had a conversation about. And that they, that was... Such a bad movie that it circled around and became good, good enough I that st- they even remade the movie. I still don't agree with you that it's bad. I don't. I feel like there's some movies that have the charm because they're bad. Right. That like like movies like Spy Kids and uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl and like movies clearly for kids, but they have such like energy and charm to them that it's like kind of enthralling to watch. Yes. So, Red Dawn, you know some of the the uh, some of the acting, some of the dialogue. It's a little janky. Yeah, but a little that's, bit. That's the worst. That's the beauty it, of it. It never gets bad, bad. Right. Like, the worst thing a movie could well, be is... It's got Patrick Swayze in it. Yeah. How bad can a Patrick Swayze <laughs> movie be? It's got most of the cast of Dirty Dance. Oh, no. Is it <laughs> is it Dirty Dancing in it? That's Patrick Swayze. Yeah. It's got oh, most... Yes. Yeah. The, the it's female, got the same girl. The female actors. So it's got most of Dirty Dancing. This is post-Dirty <laughs> Dancing America. I think it's, it's pre. This came before Dirty Dancing, I no, think. No, I mean, like, it, canonically, like, the Russians invade. Ah, yes. Yeah. After the events of Dirty Dancing. Right. 
Yeah, how crazy is that? And the worst thing a movie can be is boring. And if it's janky and weird... Right, like, uh, oh, I don't know, Galaxy Quest. It's not boring. Right. The, that's the last thing you can... So, like, a movie like Justice League was very boring to sit through. Yep. And I did not like it. But a movie like Galaxy Quest... Did you watch the whole movie? I did watch the whole movie because I had to. You're, you were obligated. Have I ever told committed. you my favorite shot of that movie? No. There's a shot of Bruce Wayne and the guy who plays um, the Flash coming out of a, an airplane. And it's from the ground. So, like, you're kind of looking up at the the onboarding of this airplane. And Wonder Woman's in the front of the frame. And instead of focusing on Batman and the Flash, you just the camera focuses on Wonder Woman's butt. And I thought it was funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the cameraman got distracted. Yeah, on. like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of funny. You think they'd catch that in, uh, in a post. In post-edit. Because in post, they, uh, they CGI'd out uh, Superman's mustache. Oh, really? Yeah. If that I that scene that. in the beginning where the it's like a cell phone video, yep. uh, Henry Cavill had a mustache because he was filming Mission Impossible, and he he didn't want to shave it for Justice. Oh League. right, yeah, he needed the mustache for the other movie. for the other movie, and he didn't have time to like grow it back. Yeah, so they just CGI'd it out. CGI. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> that is kind of funny, and why a movie would want to hire an actor exclusively for their movie, not <laughs> in parallel with yeah. two or three or four other movies they might be doing at the same time. Off the wall, here's another question. Yeah. Tell me about the worst haircut you've ever had. Uh, all of them before 2015, I think. Is it 2015? Whenever I, I used to just get bowl cuts all the time. That's funny. Bowl cuts <laughs> and, like, straight hair. So every haircut prior yeah. to recently. So as your father, I need to let everybody know that the bowl cuts you received were never from your mother and father. They were from hairstylists. Yeah, a professional. <laughs> professional got paid to give you a bowl cut. We could have done that at home for free. Yeah. So you got a new haircut. You got a new stylist. Yeah, and I, I like it a lot. So it makes me pretty. All right, so once you ha you found a way, tell me about your morning ritual. How do you make your hair look so pretty? What else goes on with you in the morning as you're getting ready to make a day? Wake up. Um, my face a is lot always... Of us, a lot of us start with that, and uh, then we go on to add <laughs> other things to it. I, I always My face always looks pretty, but like uh, I got I to gotta brush my teeth. I'm an 8 out of 10 exclusively if I brush my teeth. Yeah. And then you, if you take a shower in the morning, that helps a lot. But we don't have a shower for me, so I just wash my hair. Wash your hair, and do yeah. you blow dryer? Do you put a gel on? Leave do it you there. Just, it just couldn't go. Yep. It just, makes it just, easy. Just blessed with good hair. <laughs> that helps. That's it. That, uh, that helps you get out of the house a lot sooner than, than some of the others. I yeah. keep my hair short enough that, that <laughs> it, I, it doesn't, doesn't need a whole lot. It's not noticeable. That's right. Uh, do you have a, um, uh, a quote or a saying that... You especially like? Oh, a whole lot. Just depends on the situation. So, for example, let's say my favorite football player is Lawrence Taylor, and he would always forget what the defensive play call was, and he would just rush the passer because he's he played uh, right outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme. <laughs> if that you forget like what a, to do, rush the he, passer. If you forget <laughs> what to do, you he ran at the guy with the ball, and the, th <laughs> the the quote that comes to mind whenever I hear that is, it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. Right. And he made like a lot of plays doing that, and every time he'd get chewed out on the sidelines, he'd be like, Coach, I made the play. Like I got the guy. He's like, yeah, you can just get away with it because you're good. So it's always better to ask uh, forgiveness than permission. That's right. Not, not always, but... So now we, we go back to six-year-olds playing soccer where everybody chases the ball. <laughs> just a, just, <laughs> a, it's just a, a, mosh, pot of, a mosh pit for the ball. <laughs> a mobile mosh pit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, the six-year-olds really don't know how to work a mosh pit properly, and they're liable yeah. to hurt somebody if they're not careful. There's a surprising 
few injuries in Pee Wee soccer. There's surprisingly few injuries in mosh pits too. For, yeah. for what's going on, you think yeah. there'd be some deaths reported? But uh, actually, there's a there's a uh, code of conduct. <laughs> you got to sign a sign a formal release. There actually is. Really? Uh, <laughs> if, if somebody ends up in a mosh pit by accident, the other moshers recognize that, and, and they you must and they give them a chance to recover. There's like an exodus. Exit the the game yeah. zone. <laughs> yeah, the, there actually is a code of conduct going on. That's and, crazy, and it's enforced. The people in the mosh pit will will. Uh, if somebody's being mm-hmm. too physical, you know, out out of bounds, uh, the other moshers will will rein <laughs> hey them man. in. No, they won't talk to them. Oh, but they'll but they'll settle them down with respect to their physicality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's I've never been in a mosh pit, but I understand it. it Another. Has, uh, it has a culture and it has a societal <laughs> has a hierarchy culture. and it has the mosh a, pit culture. Yes. Another uh, quote is um, this one requires a story is uh, there's a Spartan soldier in ancient Greece, and he was, like, on guard guarding the city or whatever, and he thought he saw what he thought was a ghost. So he like he's, like, kind of half asleep, and he looks over, and he thinks he sees a ghost. And most of us would, like, freak out and run away, but he grabs his spear and his shield, and he runs at it, and then it disappears. And he told his buddy the next day, and he was like, why would you run at it? And he said, I wanted to be the only man to kill something twice. Uh, I think that's a great quote. That's that, a that's a good one for how to uh, approach life. Is just and if the ghost didn't actually exist, and if he was never able to kill it, then he lives on just in the quote. Yeah, not in the actual act of killing something. Of killing twice. something twice. Yeah, that's a win right there. If you're that's, gonna do, if you're gonna do something and set your mind to something, like Spartans set their mind to being the best warriors that they could, you might as yeah. well double it. You might as well kill something twice. If you're gonna go, go all the way. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I think that's uh, and and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. I mean, once you're there, you're all the way there, and there's your goat. Yeah, there's yeah. your ghost. <laughs> there's your ghost goat. That's a that's a that's a difficult way to make a name for yourself. But <laughs> apparently, for this particular, we so th- through all the generations from that time, we've seemed to have lost the name of this soldier. Yeah, but the story lives on, and what yeah. a, what a good story! If you could go back in time and change history, what would you change and why? Oh, Lord. So many opportunities to choose from. So many things to do, but not a lot. See, because I feel like we're pretty sequential, right? Like, we have to have everything right. happen how it let's, did. Let's take, let's take uh, Hitler off the table. Yeah. That could be too easy to go to or, or visit Jesus and have lunch. Hitler kind of made the United States a superpower. Because without World War II, we don't really step onto the world scene. Right. That's interesting. You know, we, I think it's, it's, um, the United States was late to World War II relative yeah. to a lot of other countries. Yes. And once we got in, we were all the way in. We were 100% committed, 110% committed as a country to the, to the goals and yeah. objectives of, of defeating uh, the Axis powers. And then I think, uh, to our credit, to the, to the credit of the United States, I think, um, it was the benevolent attitude after the war that as victors, we've still felt an obligation and responsibility to do the right thing. And that's rebuilding the societies that we just defeated. Yeah. So Japan today and Germany today. Yeah. We didn't just leave Germany in shambles and dip. We right. It would have, yeah, it would have been easy to walk away from that and, yeah. and left that country in, in, uh, in just very desperate situation yeah. that would last for literally for decades, perhaps. And now we're buddies with Germany. Oh yeah. They're, yeah. they're one of our best allies and Japan too. That, yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> that's an interesting concept is coming out of a war, defeating your enemy, 
and then your best buds. Yeah, a couple years later, 60, yeah. 70 years, we're yeah. cool now. Yeah, well, I think we, we've been cool for a lot longer yeah. than that. But uh, So they lived under our rule as victors, and we did it well enough that they didn't hate us for it. Yeah. So coming on the backside, I, I think that's, uh, that's a different era. That's a different time, I think, yeah. coming out of World War II. But I think I agree entirely with what you say, that I think it, it uh, sets us up as a world power for a very long time. Yeah. And I think, you know, current politics notwithstanding, I think the uh, United States has, has, I'm not so naive to say that, that we've done a lot of good. I know we've also done a lot of harm. But I think the big picture that... that um, We're influential at the least. Yeah. We're out there. So we'll see We'll see uh, what we as a country can, can do with that that reputation that we've built up over decades and see where it takes us. So I think it's kind of ignorant to think you can change history and think everything works out okay. Right. I would change my haircut. That's what I would change. Oh, the butterfly effect. Yeah. The, I, you, you change one little hairstyle and... Yeah. And now this this cute girl doesn't talk to you because your hair doesn't look a certain way. Or a different cute girl talks to you because you had cute hair f- quicker. Cute girl. Tell me about your first kiss. <laughs> what about dun, it? Dun, dun. <laughs> Have you had it yet? Yeah. There you go. Well, <laughs> tell me tell me more. Or I'll tell you. I, I'll go first. My first kiss wasn't your mother. I, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the beginning of this story. Her name was Phyllis. And That's a boy's name. You no, kissed a boy. Phyllis was a was a <laughs> wonderful young lady. Philip. And I met Phyllis on vacation. We used to vacation down south and uh, met her and, and got to know her. And and it just the time was right. And there it was. My first kiss was, was Phyllis. I almost said her last name. I'm not going to go with the last <laughs> name here. I'm just going to say Phyllis. So, And I, I think I was about probably, I think I was probably about 11. That's really young. So You're like a, a sixth grader. Yeah, You're fifth grader, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. Yeah. So you know, what was a kiss to a sixth grader? You know, that was my whole world then. <laughs> so, and that was back in the day when when um, we'd been vacationing for years and going to the same area, and you make friends. Believe it or not, you make you know you're there for a week or two, and and over the summer, and you get to know people. And you so back in that day, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have text messages, we didn't have email. When you made a friend and you wanted to stay in communication with that friend, uh, it was letters. You'd actually oh, write, really? Yeah, you'd write letters back and forth. So you'd write a letter <laughs> and and you put it in the mailbox, and you know the the mailman would take it. A couple of days later, they'd get it, and they'd write you an answer back. And a couple of days later, you'd get it. So you know, trying to have a conversation takes about a week. Yeah, you got to make sure you have something really interesting to talk about because you can't be like, "How was your day?" And then three days later, they get <laughs> find it. out the answer, right? Yeah, because yeah, that that conversation kind of falls flat. So yeah, you 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 uh, say a lot of things, you ask some questions, uh, but in your in your mind, it's a, it's a totally different way to have a conversation when when email, uh, you know, it's regular mail, not email. Uh, the regular mail is is um, it's a different way of communicating that students that that kids today don't understand. It's uh, it's all instant now. Now it is, and I can tell you that when you have a number of friends and you're and you're mailing your friends, and you're excited to get home at the end of the day because you can go to the mailbox and see if any of your friends wrote you that day, and if you're writing enough letters, you're getting enough answers. <laughs> yeah, every day or two or three, you might you might get a letter. So how cool it was to get a letter in the mail. Uh, kids today don't understand the how exciting it is to open an envelope and hear from a bud. You'd get a text message or an email or phone call. I had to get a I had to get a letter from the U.S. Post Office. 
I had to pay for stamps. <laughs> stamps is the deal. Back then, a stamp was was uh, it wasn't the fifty five cent thing it is today. You could send a letter for back then for eighteen cents or something. So is it is it inflated because nobody sends letters anymore or what? No, I you know I think it's uh, I think the cost has just gone up as a regular matter of inflation mm-hmm. and uh, just the normal kind of inflation that we've experienced year over year. But the um, uh, there's a whole lot fewer letters being sent, but the post office picks up that slack with sending other things. Like uh, packages. Packages is a big one, yeah. So I think. How inconvenient is it to have a 55 cent stamp? You just can't buy two with a dollar. <laughs> right. Just make it 50 cents. Round it off. Sell them in volume. Yeah, sell yeah. four for $2 and, and uh, make it up in volume. This is a problem. This has made me mad. You can lose money on every envelope and make it up in volume. Yeah. You just sell enough envelopes and then you're good. Let's see, have you got another question going? Uh, one that I've been asking a lot of people is uh, who would win in a fight, a bear or a grizzly? I mean, a grizzly bear or a gorilla? Oh, that's interesting because the the um, strength and dexterity of the gorilla versus the raw power and bite I and, think and the claws of the, the bear. The more effective weapons. So I think it's, I, I it's going to go to dexterity. And that's who can move the fastest. And I, I'd say the gorilla. Have you ever seen that. a grizzly bear fight? Well, they, they <laughs> move fast, but they're they're jonky. They're they you know, are they're, big. Yeah, they get it. It's like a Volkswagen. Once they get it up to speed, <laughs> yeah. and then they can just bowl over whatever they're for. The gorilla, I think the the uh, the gorilla could articulate more fluidly, more quickly, and be able to dodge a lot of the the attacks of a grizzly bear. So I, I recognize the raw strength of the grizzly bear. Yeah. But I think I'm going to go with the dexterity and strength of a gorilla. Let's consider defensive capability. What has a gorilla got? Um, a grizzly speed. bear's got a two-inch thick skull. Well, that's true. And, and, a, and a heavy and fur it's, coat. Uh, it's, yeah, its fur is wearing like a like a loose suit of armor. Oh, that's so a good point. Not so, only are you so gonna the gorilla like, could dodge the the offensive attacks of the grizzly bear, but how does the gorilla What's a gorilla, gorilla going to do? Yeah. Yeah, rip an arm off the... Or a paw. Are <laughs> I you don't know what. That's a good I'd question. I'd like to so, see a gorilla try to... So are you coming down the side of the gorilla? Then? I'm I'm firmly grizzly bear. Grizzly bear, okay. I'm 100% grizzly bear. Yeah, the teeth and the and the claws. Yeah, they're so much bigger, too. They make a good yes. hug. They do make a good hug. A, oh, like a once-in-a-lifetime hug, because that's... There's a hug that, that's so good, they that. named it after them. Yeah. I love you so much, I'm going to give you the very best bear hug I can give you. <laughs> Yeah, so the um, – do you have a role model? Who do you look up to? A lot of people. Yep. Yeah, I feel like just having one, you kind of – because everybody has, like, a problem. You know what I mean? Like, not everybody's perfect, so there's some things that you can call into question. You know, like I said, my favorite football player earlier, he has a lot of char- – not character issues, but, like, character issues. Right. There's just – it's nice to have a lot of people to look up to, and I think just having – Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Having a, a whole bunch of people that encompass the whole spectrum of what you want. So let's say I like LeBron for his r- ruthless pursuit of success, but I don't always agree with how he acts and the stuff that he does off the court. Right. So there's just bits and pieces that you can take from a lot of people. Yeah. King James. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's taken a, a lot of heat. And I think rightfully so. I, I think. Oh, the, for uh, that uh, that Twitter comment, right? Yeah, that was. See, <laughs> I think he's got dollar signs in his eyes. I and I think it's it's I don't know. 
I was all with him whenever he told that uh, Fox reporter that told him to shut up and dribble that I'm more than an athlete. And then he told somebody else that exact same thing. I was like, what are you doing, man? I was on your side. <laughs> so I've, I've got, uh, I've got three heroes. I'll tell you about three of them. And I come out of the tech world mm-hmm. and I teach. So I love telling these, these uh, stories to my students. It fits in with, with whatever lesson of the day they're getting. So uh, three of them. And the first is Linus Torvalds mm-hmm. and Linus is, is the guy that took a version of Unix and built a community around it to make what you and I know as, as Linux. So Linux, an alternate operating system to Windows <laughs> and to the, to the uh, Mac operating system. So Linux, as a free operating system, uh, takes the computer in places that uh, Microsoft won't take it or mm-hmm. Apple won't take it for, for marketing reasons, for revenue reasons. So Linux is, has uh, been great for a lot of companies. I've run Linux as a server and run email systems off that free server and, and do all kinds of interesting things. So I think it, it um, so Linux and Linus Trevalds is, is one of them. Another one pops to mind is Sir Tim Berners-Lee. And <laughs> he's been knighted. I was just about to ask that actually. Yeah, Sir Tim Berners-Lee. So, so anybody who's been knighted is automatically on the candidacy. Got to have something going on, right? I mean, yeah. there's, there's uh, I, I think some interesting things there. So, Mr. Berners-Lee, and what he did was invented the hyperlink. That mm. What you and I know today is the World Wide Web is possible because you move a mouse, you point to a link, you click, click it. and it takes you places. Uh, so it can take you further down the same page. It can take you to a different page, to a different website. Uh, it can take you anywhere in the World Wide Web. Yeah. So the power of the click is, is really amazing as it manifests in this hyperlink. And here's the cool part. When when uh, Tim Berners Lee and his associates they invented this, uh, Tim Berners Lee didn't try to monetize it. That he recognized the power and the and the transformative capability of, of this could have on on many forms of communication, he essentially gave it away. So this gift to humanity became what you and I know today as the World Wide Web. Uh, and you know where would we be if someone else had invented that and monetized and it. monetized it? Could you imagine how hard it would be to look up like? Yeah. For example, wow, what were we talking about? Dang it. There's something you might have to download a file yeah. to read a file instead yeah. of just clicking, linking, and popping it up. So uh, if you've ever used a restroom that had a pay toilet, I want to say that if Microsoft <laughs> had invented the, the hyperlink. We would be paying $12 per click. Well, you'd, you'd, there'd probably be, by yeah, early on you would have had a nickel or a dime you'd have to put in the machine somewhere so you could make this click. Go work. to Google. Yeah, yeah, go to Google. to Click on something you, else. cost you a nickel to, to uh to just to go to that Google page, but the uh, today what it, it would manifest as a subscription service that you'd have a a, a monthly or annual subscription that you would uh, uh, pay for, and that would give you the ability to go places and do things. So we have it available to us through Sir Tim Berners Lee, uh, and he's he um, he's rich, and he's yeah. he's been made rich not because he monetized his his invention, but because countries have recognized the value that he's brought. And they, he's he's just been awarded, you know, these accolades and and these grants and these these uh, this these financial gains. So Tim Berners Lee, and I'm going to wrap this up with the last one. My my uh, my last hero is Gordon Moore. Uh, he's the co-founder of Intel and the author, the the stater of Moore's Law, mm-hmm. that we now recognize today as a doubling of the number of transistors on a processor every. 
and it's been modified over the years. We're, we've settled on a definition of 18 to 24 months, doubling the number of transistors on a processor every 18 to 24 months. And he said this back in the 60s. And every 18 to 24 months since then, we've experienced these, these uh, increases in the capability of our computer processors. So the, the number of transistors correlates to the power of the processor. And a more powerful processor or a more powerful computer, the more powerful computer, the more work mm-hmm. you can do. The more work you can do, the, the sooner you get to go home at the end of the day. <laughs> and there's a whole lot of people using a whole lot of computers getting a whole lot of work done. So I think Gordon Moore, um, and, and what I'd like to say about him is, it's, it's not that he's prophetic. It's not that he saw into the future. It's that he used this, this uh, Gordon Moore doubling concept as a motivational tool, as a management tool. Mm-hmm. So he, he used it to drive his employees. To, oh, so, so it was, less like like a Darwin law, but more like a more like a rule that a coach puts on a board. Yes, like we yes. better get two picks this game. Or, That's right. Yeah, yep. So when when uh, Gordon Moore says you know every eighteen twenty four months we're looking for the next generation of processor. Yeah, it's it's new materials, it's new processes, it's new machinery, it's it's uh, you know the inventions start to flow, and it ebbs and flows, but uh, rubber meets the road, they always find a way to, to make it happen. So yeah. uh, it, it's been so for, or are we looking at now, about 50, 60 years. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing that, that every two years we keep finding ways to, to make uh, these incredible things happen. I'd like to uh, describe Gordon Moore's concept as a metronome. And when he set the metronome, other companies in the market had to abide by his metronome. Yeah, keep the same pace. Or fall by the wayside. They yeah. would go out of business. And when they went out of business, uh, somebody would buy that business. That business mm-hmm. had intellectual property. It had patents. It had machinery. It had you know, a lot of really cool things that were working. They just couldn't, couldn't uh, from a marketing perspective, generate the revenue to stay in business. Intel bought a lot of those companies that Gordon's metronome put out of business. And if Intel didn't buy it, AMD did. Mm-hmm. So now we're we're down to two big players in the market, and that's Intel and AMD, and I think that's in large part because Gordon Moore and his and his doubling his metronome his metronome exactly. So, so there's my three heroes: Gordon Moore and and Sir Tim Berners Lee. I want to submit two Lannister more. Voss. Yes, I feel like I got jibbed since you. <laughs> <laughs> I went with the big three. Yeah, I want to submit uh, George Saint Pierre. Oh yeah, um, MMA. Yeah, UFC fighter. Uh, what many people to be the greatest welter considered to be the greatest welterweight of all time. I think his story of um, he's he's Canadian, so his English is a little shaky. But if you listen to him talk about it, it's it's kind of funny. But if you listen to the words that he's saying, he's he's telling a very sincere story about him getting bullied as a little kid. Right. So like he he gets bullied and picked on at school, and instead of like instead of using that negativeness and putting more negativeness, he goes to a, uh, I think he started with karate, and he goes to a karate class, and he falls in love with, with the martial, with arts. martial art, yeah, right. with all the discipline and the, the reason, and, he, and then he goes to uh, wrestling and jujitsu, and he, he just becomes this absolute animal that just as soon as he gets hits the UFC scene, he just tears it up, and he's, right. he's crazy. There were a lot of people in those early days of MMA that had not, had not seen the scope of, of yeah. uh Capability. A lot of people were traditionalists. You pick an art and you like you sit by it. There's a lot of like designated wrestlers. Designated you go you go way deep in one particular yeah. form of of the martial arts, where mm-hmm. George yeah taken a much broader stroke yeah. there. GSP would and showing show some things they'd never seen before. Then, yeah, 
So he was, I like him, and I like the these other two guys. I cheated, grouped them together. I like these other two guys for the same reason, and it's the Diaz brothers, again, MMA. Yep. But a lot of this, I like them, their story behind them. and, the, the, and They're just a little bit younger than, than George St. Pierre yes, was. They're a little younger. Maybe 10 years younger? And then they are, um, uh, I think, I don't know. I think Nick might be older. I don't know. The, okay. I don't know their ages, but they're about the same age, and yeah. they're they're the same like all around guys. But the reason why I like them so much is that they're unabashedly and unashamedly themselves. Like no matter what, you're not. You're, they're right. incomparable, and in, also in that, how that, they're going to be. That's not an MMA thing. That's just that's their a personality personal thing. Yeah. Well, George St. Pierre, he he built his reputation on his ability to to fight to win fights. Yeah. And and this characteristic of the Diaz brothers, that's just who they are. Yeah. So, so that goes to their their. Yeah. Upbringing, yeah, their, their neighborhood, upbringing their mom and, who, and dad, well, their, their fam. Even between them too, they're very different people. Like Nick is very shy; he has a lot of anxiety. He looks very unconfident. Like right. he looks so worried. But as soon as he steps in that ring, he looks like an animal. He looks like he could beat the crap out of you, and he probably totally could. Flip the switch, right? Yeah. As soon as he steps in that cage, he's beast a, mode. He's he's confident. Right. He knows what he can oh, do. Oh, see, so confidence. That you know, uh, there's a there's a two edged sword there. Mm-hmm. Your confidence. Uh, sets the, your brain to a task and tells your brain that no matter what, you're going to be able to accomplish your yes. task. At the same time it's doing that, the other side of the same sword is your opponent sees your confidence and says, this looks like a mountain I'm not sure I can yeah. climb. I, I think I'm about to get a whooping. As and soon as soon as they let that thought into their brain, yeah. their game is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Then it becomes inevitable. It's just a matter of time before... Uh, Diaz then finds the chink in the armor, exploits yeah. it, and taps him out. And um, Nate more so than Nick because Nate is always confident. He's always he, even outside of the thing. You look interesting confidence. Interesting point about confidence as as you're telling yeah. the story as it applies in MMA, but uh, this applies everywhere. It does. Yeah, it does. If if you can foster that that characteristic in yourself, I think you have the ability to wield a weapon. In social situations, in financial situations, in school, in yeah. love, in you know, just every aspect of your life, what area of your life is not going to benefit from your ability to be confident in yourself as a person and as a decision maker and as a problem solver and as as mm-hmm. a communicator? So I think there's, yeah, I think it, I think you just put your finger on a very uh, key characteristic of a lot of people's success. Yes, so it's um his. And he's he's not I'm gonna he's not the greatest fighter right right he's not but he's got one of the biggest followings because he's just so person everybody likes him because he's so earth. confident he's so personable right and again they took that and he negative, doesn't make stupid tweets that yeah <laughs> he makes really good tweets <laughs> not the off putting kind yeah but the kind that brings people to him not pushes yeah. people away from him and just them all three all three of those guys that I just mentioned and MMA as a whole takes a lot of stuff that's negative, like a lot of negative stuff that happens to you right. and allows you to have an output to put it into a positive thing. So I'm a big yep. fan of taking that negative and putting it into putting, taking bad out and putting more good in. Empty the, the bucket with the bad stuff and make room for fill good stuff to fill it stuff. up. Yeah. It's an interesting idea. I like that. Well, I think the, uh, it's been a great conversation today and I appreciate the, the, uh, the time that I've got to share with Andy here and thank mm-hmm. you all for being our audience Anything you want to say goodbye about, Andrew? Uh, no, I think that was a that was a good note to end it on. All right, then uh, thank you all, and we hope to see you next time. Yep.